Hi, good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. I, too, would like to welcome any of those that are visiting with us. It's good to have you here. Hope everyone feels blessed for being here today. We are now two weeks removed from the Thanksgiving holiday. And Katrina, Becky, and Bailey are almost fully recuperated from their Black Friday shopping spree. And this year was a different one. Uh, not because of the wacky shopping stories from the girls, but because of the financial state of this country. Businesses are slowing down, interest rates are rising to combat the highest inflation this country has seen in over 40 years. And although our pocketbooks are being a little bit more strained as the prices of our household goods and our staples has skyrocketed, Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales hit all record highs. Black Friday sales broke all records coming in at $9 billion in sales, and Cyber Monday broke online sales of over $11 billion. Advertisers continue to tell us that we need their product, that we need this specific thing in our lives to make us happy. And I get it. I was in junior high once, and when I was in junior high, Reebok pumps came out. And I had a pair of them. Now, I've included a picture mainly for our younger folks. You'll notice that bright orange basketball on the tongue of that shoe. That's where you would pump up the shoe and it would tighten around your foot. And I'll tell you this, Reebok had me convinced that that shoe would give me the advantage that I needed on the basketball court. I had a pair. I loved them. And I would pump those things up over and over and over again, knowing that it was going to make me run faster and jump higher. And you couldn't tell me that it didn't, because Reebok said it could. And they were right, right? That was 30 years ago. Now we fast forward to today, and we, of course, still hear a very similar message. A few weeks ago, so by the way, my dad will be 80 years old tomorrow, so happy birthday to him. And a few weeks ago, I gave him his birthday present, and we went out to the lake, and we went on a guided fishing trip together. So we go fishing, and we experience a new technology called LiveScope, a new technology that this guide had on his boat, and we had never seen it before. And this new technology, this new sonar, it made everything on the screen appear exactly like it was underwater. Exactly like it was underwater. You could see full trees. You could see limbs. You could see the fish sitting all next to the tree. Matter of fact, you could drop your bait in the water. You could watch your bait go down. That fish, you could watch it turn and look at it. And then you could watch the fish swim over and get it. Amazed. I was completely blown away. It was like I was playing a video game. My mouth fell wide open, and we spent the next four hours reeling in fish after fish after fish. Once we hit 50 fish, we caught our limit, and we went in early. And those are two words you've never heard me say before. I caught my limit, and we went in early. We got in the truck, and we were pulling off, and my dad looks over at me, and he says, you think anyone will have that live scope on sale on Black Friday? 
advertisers continue to tell us that we need their product, that we need this gadget, that our children need this talking doll, our teenagers need this new video game, we need the latest and greatest cell phone, we need this new gaming system, we need to show off that new car, we need those stylish new shoes. And it doesn't stop. Why does it not stop? Because we struggle to find contentment. And advertisers continue to take advantage of us and our desire in our quest to seek contentment. And this is nothing new. These practices go back to the Garden of Eden. God created this beautiful, lush garden for Adam and Eve to live and enjoy and tend they had it made. They had all the food that they needed surrounded by a garden and these rivers and trees and animals. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was made for them. The situation was perfect for them, for a perfect couple that was made for each other. But even in this perfect setting, this perfect reality that they were living in, the serpent convinces them that they needed something more. He tells them that there's something else that could make their situation better. That although everything is going really good for them, it could be better. And this lie, this lie that there is something bigger and better and more fulfilling introduces sin into the world, and mankind has continued to struggle with sin ever since. We're going to study contentment this morning because if we can't figure out what contentment means if we can't figure out what it means what it means to become content then we're going to struggle living the life that God intended for us we are truly blessed individuals amen truly blessed individuals each and every one of us it doesn't matter my struggles, it doesn't matter. Your struggles, we are still blessed to have a Lord and Savior that loves us and died for us. And because Jesus died for our sins, we should say, <laughs> it is well with my soul. This morning, I'd like to incorporate this phrase into our study. And what I want to ask you is, do you view this as a statement? It is well with my soul. Or do you possibly rearrange the first two words and say it as a question? Is it well with my soul? You get to choose. When you walked into the building this morning, as you sit here right now in these pews, and as you leave this afternoon, it is or is it? And that's the question that you have to answer. On Monday mid-morning, when the week starts off and gets off to a really rough start, it is or is it? At the end of a tough financial month and you're trying to pay rent, it is or is it? And when that check engine light comes on again, it is or is it? I'd like to start out this morning with a biblical definition of contentment. So we can find many scriptures that reference contentment and, and being content, and we also find many scriptures that speak to the exact opposite. 
for the search of more. Proverbs 27 and 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. We live in a world that is never content, and we're reminded of that every single day. Earnings were great this quarter, but we need 10% more next quarter. Test scores, wonderful this year, but we can do better next year. My car, it's clean and it's fast, but I bet it could be faster. We have a nice size home that fits our needs, but it could be bigger. We're comfortable financially, but another few zeros would make a big difference, wouldn't it? Contentment, from a definition standpoint, simply means to be in a state of happiness, to be satisfied, to be pleased. I propose to you this morning that Proverbs 19 and 23 serves as a biblical definition of of content as it states, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it, rest satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And the key words here are rest, satisfied. Where we find that sense of peace is knowing that we are without worry. Whether it be about who we are, what we have or what we don't have, what our condition in life is and where we're headed when this earthly life is over. Rest, satisfied. And we find that peace in knowing that we are a child of God. I'm having that sense of peace that we read about here in Proverbs. That's what we see. We are at ease. We are comfortable. Our cup runneth over. We are resting satisfied. Now, what we didn't just discuss is if you're content with your job. I didn't mention your marital status. I didn't mention your struggles with relationships. It's not your popularity status or the number of followers you have. I didn't mention your title at the office, the extracurricular activities that you may or you may not excel at. And I didn't talk about how big your office is, how new your car is, or how big your bank account is. I'm not talking about your GPA of the school that you attend or the ranking of the school that you wish to attend. I'm not referring to your zip code or your home square footage. I didn't talk about your height or your weight or your hair or your lack of hair or your graying hair. That's interesting, isn't it? Because the world wants to tell us that all those things matter. In In a poll by Pew Research, the question was asked, where do Americans derive meaning and satisfaction? The most popular answer was clear. Americans are most likely to mention family when asked what, when, when what brings them satisfaction. In second place was career, then money, and then we finally get to spirituality and faith. Fourth place. <coughs> In looking at another poll put out by Gallup, the most satisfied group of people are those identified in the poll as churchgoers. They break out the poll by by church attendance. How often do these folks attend church? They break out the poll uh, by church service attendance, and 67% of churchgoers that attend weekly services identified themselves 
as very satisfied people. When compared to the Gallup poll that we just, uh, a, another poll put out of the general population, only 51% identified themselves as very satisfied. Based on these polling numbers, weekly church attendance increased people's satisfaction, and if you are a numbers person, then that's a 31% increase. You see, our coworkers and neighbors and CNN and the nightly news, they put multiple priorities in front of spirituality. Those people that rely on status and wealth to define their contentment will always desire more. And then here comes the advertiser, the advertisers pushing those Reebok pumps. Let me show you how it works. That first home, everyone remembers their first home. That first home that you were so excited to buy, that first home that took forever to save for, that first home that you focused on for several years and that you finally get in and you decorated it and you painted it and you put all this, all this blood and sweat and love into this home. Well, that was five years ago. You now refer to it as your starter home because there's something bigger and better ready for you. Because now our family's grown and we need something bigger. We got those promotions that we were seeking at work and now we desire something more. Because we really need a bigger backyard for the kids. We really need to move into a different zip code. Or maybe you've experienced this scenario. My car is approaching 100,000 miles. It's time to trade it in. And if we're going to trade it in, then let's trade up. The car payment is going to be more. It's going to be a little bit of a strain, but I think we can make it work. But it's going to be worth it because we're going to have a heated steering wheel. Again, there, there are reasons to buy homes and vehicles. Of course. Of course there's reasons. But we have to evaluate our reasons. It's important we ask ourselves, why am I pursuing this? What do I think I'm going to get out of this? These things that we try to fill our lives with aren't necessarily bad. But when they become the end goals and the reason for our being, and we end up being discontent, we end up being discontent with these things because they were never meant to satisfy us. A progressing career to assist our ability to purchase material things do not matter and do not have an effect on our contentment. Thinking this way has a ne negative effect on our relationship with God. Those things don't matter. It's just noise. It's just interference. This noise is interfering with the reality that Jesus has provided us the greatest opportunity to be content through his death on the cross. And as we continue to chase these things that we think will make us more content, we're telling God that the death of his son just wasn't enough. The death of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the opportunity and promise of eternal life in heaven, it's not enough. I want more. God, I'm not satisfied yet. I want more. We have to learn, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. 
but we have to learn to block out that interference so that we can find that resting satisfaction. Happy and content with our relationship with the Lord to the point that we can say, it is well with my soul. So why the disconnect? We have to ask the question, why is there such a disconnect between what the world tells us will lead us to contentment and what the Bible teaches us about contentment? I'll answer that question with Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. When we try to associate things, things, with our level of contentment, then we're going to fail every time. Just like when Reebok lied to me and told me that those Reebok pumps were going to make me run faster and jump higher. I was a junior high kid. A trampoline in the middle of the lane wasn't going to make me jump any higher. But we convince ourselves that those shoes will make us better, which leads to an increase in our contentment. That's what we want to convince ourselves of. Same goes for that promotion or that bonus. If I could just make a little more, just a little more, then things would be so much better. When we put our faith in these material things, then we are leaning on our own understanding. It is what we think will bring us contentment. So how do we avoid that? Next verse, Proverbs 3, verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he. Who? He will make straight your path. Sometimes, folks, we just have to get out of our own way. And this is a brain hardwire problem. We develop this way of thinking as a child, and and unless we rewire ourselves, like renewing of our minds, then we will continue to chase things and activities and status that will not bring us contentment. Because there is nothing associated to those things that will bring us to say, it is well with my soul. Brothers and sisters, understand this. Contentment is derived from our relationship with God. That's where we find contentment. It's not something tangible that I can hold in my hands, that I can build, that I can put together, that I can go and purchase. Contentment is our satisfaction in the Lord. Because those Reebok pumps, they tear down and they wear out. That live scope fishing sonar becomes outdated. The new car does not smell that good for very long. That new house becomes outdated. It cracks, it breaks, and it deteriorates. But when we base our contentment on our relationship with God, it grows and it flourishes and it satisfies. Resting satisfaction. You see, the Apostle Paul tells us that there's a secret to being content. Before we get to what that secret is, I think we need to start in Hebrews 13. Especially in the first several verses of Hebrews 13, the writer's telling us how we should live. 
The chapter starts out talking about brotherly love and how we should treat strangers and how we should honor marriage. All things that we would agree are good and expected from a Christian. Then we get to verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We're being instructed that we shouldn't get caught up in chasing wealth to the level that it consumes us. Why do you think that is? Why do we receive that instruction? Jesus tells us why in Matthew 6 and 24 that we can't love money and God at the same time. Specifically, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We need to get to a point in our life where we are satisfied with what we have. We need to be happy. We need to be satisfied. We need to be content with what we have. Because we already have enough. We already have enough through Jesus Christ. Looking back at Hebrews 13, the scripture says, Be content with what you have, and if he can be content, God said, I will never leave nor forsake you. That alone should make you content should make your contentment in the Lord. That resting satisfaction, that alone should make it grow. It should make it double. It should make your contentment increase 100% in your resting satisfaction because we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's look at... Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We are all aware of this verse. We quote it. We have t-shirts print with it printed on it. We have calendars at the office with this scripture on it. We have coffee mugs and pictures at our home with this scripture. We have post-it notes on our car dashboard with this picture for when we drive out on 635. This scripture is important, important to us. You know what Paul says two scriptures before this in the 11th verse? He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul says, I have learned. If you don't feel content and you feel like there is something missing, you too can learn to be content. Verse 12. This is still the Apostle Paul speaking. I know how to be brought low, meaning he's been in a situation where he's had nothing. And I know how to abound, meaning he knows how it feels to live in abundance and have more than his needs. In any and every circumstance. Stop there. In what circumstance? What does he leave out? He didn't leave out anything. He says, in any and every circumstance. And what has he done in every circumstance? I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
And then he gives us the secret. We've already read verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You came today and you already knew the secret of being content. The same scripture that you had printed on your coffee mug at home is the secret to how we learn how to be content. Straight from the Apostle Paul. The secret of being content, you can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you. These set of scriptures started out speaking about our financial means. If you are at a point that you always feel like you're lacking financially and it's constantly dragging you down, these scriptures are talking to you. And I get it. These scriptures, perfect timing as we approach Christmas, right? Some of us are already finished with our Christmas shopping, and then some of us haven't began. Uh, some of us have already overspent, and some of us are already planning to spend to, to overspend. And then we're going to have to try to figure out where to get that extra money to pay off these gifts that we put on our credit card. And right now, this very morning, some of us feel like we are lacking financially. And Paul says he understands. In verse 12, he says he learned the secret even when he was in low times, when he was hungry, when he was in need. And if that's you this morning, then look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I do believe this is the secret that will take us from is it well with my soul to it is well with my soul. When we go back to Hebrews 13 and 5 where we started this section, there is a reason the writer makes the connection of the love of money or the constant focus on our financial endeavors and being content with what we have. There's a reason that occurs. And, and this is very important, especially when we're trying to make the connection of our financial status in life to how content we are. Because if we can't figure out how to be content with what we have, then we put ourselves in a very dangerous position. 1 Timothy 6 and 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. When you look at the second and second, the, the second and third sections of the scripture in First Timothy, it's clear that it's talking about trouble that can come from our love of money. First off, it says some have strayed from the faith, saying that the love of money has pulled people away from their Christian values and their Christian lifestyle. It has affected their faith. Whether that's working multiple jobs and we don't have time for church or to study the Bible, or that the love of money, it just distracts us. It has affected our heart. It changes our heart and it distracts us from glorifying God. Because we get so consumed with chasing another deal that we engage in shady business tactics. We stretch the truth. We have inappropriate business associates and the list goes on. But the scripture warns us that if we are chasing this type of contentment, where we think that financial wealth is, is going to, what, what it's going to bring to us, then we risk straying away from God and his desires for us. And that's a problem. And with that, it brings, as the scriptures point out, 
many sorrows. So often we chase money, we chase wealth, we chase additional income, and sometimes we achieve it. We're determined people. We set out to do something and we do it. But oftentimes it brings trouble with it. Maybe it doesn't affect our faith at first, but it increases our stress and our blood pressure. Maybe we don't sleep very good at night. Maybe we neglect our family, our church family, our church attendance, our responsibilities at home, in church. Maybe we become less dependable outside of work where we spend all of our time. I think those could be some of the sorrows that are spoken here in 1 Timothy. Compare what we just read in 1 Timothy to Proverbs 10 and 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no no sorrow with that. I want that one. I choose Proverbs 10 and 22. Our contentment, based on a strong godly relationship and faith, it allows us to find, what are we looking for? That resting satisfaction. It never adds trouble. Just as Proverbs 10 says, the Lord makes us rich, it adds no sorrow with it, and allows us to truly say, it is well with my soul. Okay. I'm aware of the secret. I'm now aware of the secret. What do I do? Now what? There are two things I want to briefly discuss as we wrap up this morning. This morning we've discussed what the world tells us should make us content. Uh, We've discussed scriptures that talk about realizing resting satisfaction. So think about those two things, what the world says and what the Bible says. And we'll read Romans 12 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we started this morning, if you would have defined contentment with material things, then you have a transformation that you need to go through. You need to be rewired. We need to go from, I need, I need, I want, I want. We need to go from that mentality to a, I'm satisfied mentality. And that happens through prayer. That happens through reading the scripture. Paul tells us that it's learned. Because if we don't equip ourselves with the knowledge of what God desires from us, then it's going to be very difficult to achieve the things that God desires from us. So what does God desire from us? I believe that God desires for us to openly and proudly say, it is well with my soul. And Paul tells us how we can do that and what our reward will be in Philippians 3. We're going to read these verses, 17 through 21. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In the previous verses before this, Paul had just spoke about Christian maturity. And through Christian maturity, we see the bigger picture. Our outlook on life and on our struggles, they change as we mature. Because we know that Christ, we know what Christ has done for us, and we know what he continues to do for us. And then Paul says, as we started uh, this set of scriptures, Paul says, join me. Join me. Join me in this mature way of thinking. And he instructs us to join him because he knows that there's destruction in the world. As we focus on verse 19, I see, uh, I see a people who have placed their contentment on material things. It says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, meaning that they have all these worldly motivations. And they glory in their shame, meaning they enjoy that sinful lifestyle. They have no remorse of their sins. And where do they set their minds? Where do they find their contentment? On earthly things. Paul starts out that verse and says, These people, those who seek contentment in material things, he says, they are motivated by worldly things. These people, these people, their end is destruction. Then Paul says, but our citizenship, not, not those previous people that he just talked about, but our citizenship, those Christians that have grown in maturity, their citizenship is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, you get to choose the life that you lead. You can choose to fix your eyes on earthly things, you can let material things motivate you so you can spend your entire life seeking contentment in things that you collect and you hoard. Or we can choose a citizenship in heaven. We can find that resting satisfaction in Jesus Christ. We can learn in whatever situation we are in to be content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because it is well with my soul. We're all familiar with the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. There is a very moving story behind the lyrics of this hymn. Horatio Spafford was an attorney and real estate investor who lost a great fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Around the same time, he lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. He thought that the family needed a vacation. They needed to get out of town for a while. So he sent his wife and his daughters. He had four daughters. So he sent his wife and his four daughters, put them on a ship, and sent them to England on their way to England. And he had planned to join them after he had finished up some business. And while his family was crossing the Atlantic Ocean, his ship was involved, the ship was involved in a collision, and it sunk, killing more than 200 people, including all four of his daughters. His wife survived the tragedy, 
And when she arrived in England, she sent a telegram to him that began this way. Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. And as he approached the area, he had to go on the same path that the previous boat had sank. And as he's on his, on his way and he's on that boat and they, he comes up to the area where the previous collision had occurred and his daughters had died, he began thinking about his daughters and words of comfort and hope filled his heart. And he wrote them down and it started this way. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Life can be unpredictable with both joys and sorrows. There will always be storms to face, and sometimes there will be tragedies. But with faith in a loving God and trust in his wonderful plan of salvation, you too can be content and say, it is well with my soul. If you have not found that resting satisfaction, then I encourage you to make some changes. If you have been caught up in the noise and the interference and chasing contentment in things that are not scriptural, then I hope that you will refocus your life. If you have struggled saying, it is well with my soul, then we'd love to study with you and pray with you. We're going to sing an invitation song at this time. And if you'd like to be baptized or if you would like the prayers of the church, we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you.